0: You are live with Get Connected. Mike and John here in studio. We've got a great program today. Of course, we're always about technology. Later on, we'll uh, be talking about a big privacy fail with the Cadillac Fairview people. In their shopping malls, uh, or one of the shopping malls, they were capturing all kinds of information from people's smartphones and pictures as well.
1: Unauthorized photos.
0: Unauthorized photos. Uh, we have got the Deputy Privacy Commissioner of Canada, to tell us uh, all about it and uh, what they do to help prevent those kinds of uh, things. We'll also be talking about the International Space Station and uh, people have been living on there for 20 years. That's pretty good. That's crazy. We need a moon base though. It's coming. It's coming. And it'll have 5G. (laughs) It will have 5G courtesy of Nokia. (laughs) (laughs) Probably better there than here. (laughs) Probably be uh, cheaper than Canada. (laughs) <laughs> Probably, That's yes. well yes. for your cell phone plan on the moon. And uh, we'll be talking with uh, Oliver Lang over at Intelligence City. This is a uh, Canadian company that is using all kinds of uh, technology and new technology in building materials to build the next generation of buildings, like wood buildings that can be like as high as 18 stories. That's crazy. It is crazy. Well, this is the time where we talk about the news uh, on our first segment uh, here. Something that really caught my eye, John, because... Uh, I'm into electric vehicles you are too i've got a tesla you've got a a kia ev chevy they also make the chevy bolt that's a very popular electric vehicle and the volt and the volt which is a hybridish hybrid yeah yeah Yeah. that's not too confusing no bolt and volt (laughs) i anyway uh they are going to start selling ev retrofit kits starting in 2021 so if you've got an older vehicle i'm assuming a chevy uh, you would potentially be able to upgrade the motor to an electric motor. So they actually showed a nineteen seventy five uh, Blazer retrofitted with an electric motor and a battery pack. And these are all uh, Chevy Bolt parts, I guess, because they've got that that system going.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like they put the the battery, which normally is on the sort of the bottom of an EV, in the bed of the truck.
0: Cool. But that takes up some of the storage room, right? It does. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm also curious, though, what would be under the hood? The electric motor. Well, but the, it doesn't. Ta- it's not as big as a full-size Blazer motor, though, right? Like-
0: well, I, I, got, I googled a picture here on, in Gadget. Uh, our good friend Igor Bonifacic wrote a, an article about it. It looks like it takes up much of the,
1: yeah, maybe.
0: the front. But anyway, I think that's cool. Like, if you've got an older car... And you know, it's not destined for the scrap heap in your mind. This might be an opportunity to breathe new life into it. The thing we don't know is the price. Like, is this gonna be as much as a new car?
1: Well, and it sounds like it might be fairly invasive installation as well because they have to rip out all the other stuff. Yeah, rewire everything. Um, but that can't be cheap. No, and and I also kind of wonder what the range would be like as well because the Chevy Blazer, at least as depicted in the 1975 version, is not the most aerodynamic vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we both know that even like our wheel covers are aerodynamic just to just to get, get those extra few miles. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, I think it's an awesome uh, plan and I think a lot of people will be interested in that if it's affordable.
0: Let's move on to the next story. Raspberry Pies. Not the kind you eat, but the little computers. We talk about these things all the time because we're nerds. Yes. Uh, they were first started back in 2009 in the UK by the Raspberry Pi Foundation and their goal was to get... A computer into the hand of every child that wanted one, and so they came up with this really cheap little computer board. I think for around ten bucks back then. I
1: think they wanted it to be as like cheap as five.
0: Was, yes, was the goal. Uh, so I mean, it's you've got to add other components to it. Uh, you know, you can still get them. I think you know for twenty, thirty bucks. But then you got to add a little case, a power supply, a little memory card, and keyboard, mouse, depending what you want to do with it. But these things are awesome because. They're great for the do-it-yourself people. You can make anything with these. I've got one set up in my garage because uh, I got a little tech bench out there. So I've got a monitor and I've got a little Raspberry Pi and I'm running Linux. So it's that's kind of like, a it's like Windows. Yeah. And I've, I can surf the web, email, I can print from there. I can even play games like Minecraft.
1: Yeah. And it has like an open source version of Office on it. So yeah. there's really nothing it can't do other than maybe run your tax software.
0: Yeah. Uh, But people also do other things. Uh, You have uh, RetroPie software going on one of yours to power your arcade machine. I've got uh, one in my home theater system. Uh, Sky's the limit. You can make digital cameras out of these things. You can make robots. And now they've got something called the new raspberry pi 400 and we're both kind of excited about this because in my garage right now i've got my Raspar- raspberry pi computer in a little case about the size of a deck of cards yep. and got the monitor i've got a raspberry pi keyboard and mouse but you can use any one but i like it because it's raspberry pi well now they've actually built the computer into the keyboard yeah this which is, is cool
1: this this i mean it removes the need for this external box yeah um makes it all very compact and very inexpensive too 100 bucks? Yeah, 100, bu- 100 bucks for the for the the keyboard. keyboard. Uh, with the computer built in and for like i think for 130 bucks Canakit, our friends in north van they sell a kit that comes with the power supply the micro sd card the mouse a little quick start guide all that kind of stuff you know for 130 bucks you have a full-fledged computer all you need to add is a screen and the screen can be a tv or a computer monitor
0: anything with an hdmi connection yeah. and there's two ports on the back you could hook two monitors up to Yes, yeah, dual screen
1: uh, it's crazy. Yeah. And it, it, But it, it's just, it's amazingly powerful machine. This is an ARM processor. This is the same processor that Apple's building their platforms on going forward. And it's a very capable processor. This particular one, I think, has about eight gigs of RAM built yeah. in. And, you know, there's a lot you can do. The nice thing about this, you don't have the same overhead as Windows and Mac OS. Yeah. So things run much faster. Boot up is almost instantaneous.
0: Yeah. Just just so we're clear you're not running call of duty on this thing no like a high-end 3d graphics game or you know high-end video editing it's it's lower powered. but you know for a hundred bucks yeah well I,
1: I know um, my fiance's parents their computer just died i'm like they should get one of these they just <laughs> they just need a browser yeah no you're right so yeah for, that's hundred bucks i mean that's what it would cost them to get their old
0: computer fixed okay we're gonna have to take a break don't forget to visit our website giving away a google pixel 4xl this month get when we come back cities of the future stay tuned you are back with get connected mike and john here going to talk about building technology now this is uh, kind of exciting some of the the new advancements that are happening and to do that we have a great guest his name is oliver lang he is with intelligent city a canadian company based uh, here in vancouver thanks for joining us good morning how are you Great. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, tell us about Intelligent City and what you guys are all about and what you're doing.
2: So, yeah, good morning. I'm Oliver Lang. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Intelligence City, and we're an urban housing technology company um, that is creating a highly scalable and adaptable platform for housing solutions general. Um, we create turnkey housing products uh, for developers, landowners, and uh, housing operators. Really our our general mantra is to build smarter and empower people to, to, to live better and to find ways to uh, transform this industry and move us towards a paradigm where Um, affordability, sustainability, and great urban livability are no longer mutually exclusive. And then we believe we're doing this by combining the power and the technologies of Industry 4.0 with uh, renewable resources. So we can get to affordable buildings um, that that can be carbon neutral today. And we're really focusing on the sort of mid to high rise sector right now, of four to 18 stories. And what's I think fairly revolutionary um, about what we're doing is just using really a, a a mass timber platform that is entirely offsite prefabricated using robotics and automation, and so forth to to get us to to uh, do that paradigm.
0: There's yeah I've got a lot of questions here. This is super interesting. You talked about uh, buildings that are four to eighteen stories using uh, timber. Like how is that possible to make an eighteen-story building out of wood?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, we already have one in Vancouver. It stands on the UBC campus called Brock Commons. Uh, it was built a, a few years ago, um, and it was one of the first in, well, the the first in North America. It's an 18-story building entirely built from mass timber. There are other projects uh, going up. There's one that's been completed in Vienna. It's 24 stories tall. Um, so the 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 revolution that's really happened there is sort of the invention of something we we refer to as a uh, mass timber or a a, a CLT panel cross laminated timber panel that that was originally invented in Europe uh some over 20 years ago um, and uh, that really gives you a lot of, uh, a lot of advantages um, where you get the dimensional uh, stability the, uh, and, and, and fire resistance and structural performance not dissimilar from a, from a concrete slab, except you can make it all out of, out of timber product. And then the, the beauty of it is you can actually put it into an offsite uh, um, fabrication environment because you can, uh, you can machine those uh, component readily. Uh, so it was invented in, in Europe.
0: Uh, does it have to be made there or can it be made here in North America?
2: No, it, it can be made here and it is being made here. We have uh, we have a couple of uh, uh, CLT uh, manufacturers um, in, uh, in British Columbia and uh, they're, they're with uh, you know cross-laminate timber and dowel-laminate timber. There are three that we have in BC alone. Um, and, and, and more in Canada and in North America. So there's definitely uh, increasing supply um, being being brought to the market.
0: I think one of the questions you'll probably get asked, uh, because you're, you're talking about uh, how efficient this is, is this modular housing or is it different?
2: So our system, we're trying to sort of do the best of both worlds. Um, basically, we refer to it as modular housing because modular housing right now is a term that's being more broadly used as something that anything that's prefabricated in componentry. Traditionally was used module was like a, a large box, to, to keep it simple, that had a high degree of modularization. But we have found um, that's where we started a decade ago, and we we manufactured full fully prefabricated modules and built buildings with those. But we had found that they are spatially very intensive. You need very large manufacturing plants for those. Um, you have very high cost for shipping, and you ship a lot of air. So we just said let's let's uh, do offsite prefabrication, but find a way where we have really integrated componentry, but we can flat pack them as much as possible. So we're doing uh, basically. Uh, um, component systems that are prefabricated but that are highly integrated and already have like electrical installation and ventilation installations and so forth in, in our components and fully uh, prefabricated facade panels that meet what we call the like passive house performance so that they they get you to buildings that have very very low cost to operate because they have essentially almost no heat loss
0: this is interesting to me. So I'm, I'm no building expert by any stretch, uh, but, you know, for, you know, these four to 18 story buildings, typically it's, you know, concrete and, and rebar. Everything's got to be kind of done uh, on, on site there. How much does your process speed up construction or is, is it the same amount of time?
2: No, it's significantly. Um, we we have our system now designed so that we can do uh, in a mixed-use building. We our system works on the commercial floors, and the office floors, and the residential floors. Um, so from the ground slab up, everything can be built uh, using using our approach. So I would say uh, uh, we typically see anywhere a reduction in construction time of four to eight months, depending on the the size and complexity.
0: Uh, and what about costs like how does that compare to traditional building methods
2: so cost is an interesting uh issue we really um look at the life cycle cost of a building because i think that's something we need to we need to have a conversation with in in our industry um We need buildings that perform well, that make people, you know, live well in cities um, that are sustainable and so forth. So the true cost of a building needs to include a discussion about its operating expenses, its maintenance costs, its depreciation, its resiliency, its adaptability over time. All these things need to be factored in because that's the true cost to uh, uh, an operator, somebody like a nonprofit who who looks at an affordable housing project. They're very interested in the question, like, how much is this project going to cost over 20 years? and that, because of the, the 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 level of um performance quality control uh efficiency gains through an approach that we have uh, there's a significant reduction in cost uh somewhere between 30 uh, around
0: 30%. so let's say you've built this building it's a 10 story building uh and you know 10 years down the road like how easy is it to renovate you know different areas of that like uh different floors and rooms
2: We have designed the building from the beginning to have that sort of resiliency because we said a a building should really last 100 plus years. And we've heard from housing operators that they've found it's very difficult to actually adapt buildings that you have. Sometimes you have buildings that are, you know, physically still okay, but, but they don't meet the demographics needs anymore. And because every single wall is built structurally, you can't convert them. You can't do anything with them. Our system, our platforms for life system, as we call it, has been designed for complete adaptability. So you can change, you know, studio one-bedroom apartments to three bedrooms, four bedrooms. You can change them into office floors if you wanted to. Um, and so you have really great flexibility because the entire structural system, the way how it's organized, um, and and how the this the the services are distributed, uh, all anticipate the idea of change. And uh, we said that from the beginning, that's the key thing. We need to have the advantages of prefabrication and consistency on the one side, but adaptability and 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 customization on the other side is, is critically important to make our customers successful.
0: Uh, do you, you have a building up in Vancouver already that you've done? Yeah, we've done a few buildings, yeah. Uh, in and, Vancouver, yeah. and so these are typically mixed use like residential and commercial office space?
2: They're typically mixed use, yeah. We're really focused on sort of urban urban densification projects. And so we've designed a system from the beginning that you can do mixed use with residential on the on the ground. And we have some projects right now that, sort with commercial retail on the ground, and then there can be some office, office layers in there and then uh, residential on top.
0: Yeah, I've had a chance to look at some of the, you know, the, the layouts of these buildings and they're not just like big block buildings. Like you've really, you know, worked hard to have kind of open spaces.
2: We really made sure that sort of when we designed, when we started up a a decade ago, um, we've learned from some projects that we've done previously, um, and uh, where we really focused on very much on the question of, of livability and well-being in a building, and building really resilient communities, connected communities that that people have proper access to daylight in all of their rooms. That you know, the children don't grow up in closets, right? That they, <laughs> you have proper windows, you have proper natural cross ventilation in buildings, access to daylight, you have that flexibility, um, and that you can be a, a happy happy owner um, or tenant in a building and and you're really connected to community. So we build in features like exterior space, access to common amenities, rooftop, shared rooftops, uh, you know, courtyard buildings, um, all these kinds of things are built into the the approach and uh, into the platform.
0: Where are we gonna see some uh, Intelligent City developments in the future?
2: Well, we've got a, a, a number of really exciting projects on the board right now and uh, some in Vancouver, Victoria, um, Esquimalt and um, so yeah, that's where they're where they're coming right now. And there's this discussion with uh, projects across the border. Uh, but that that's difficult right now because the border is closed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, where can people find out more information about what
2: uh, you guys are up to? So we have a we have a website um, uh, it's Intelligent City, uh sorry it's intelligent-city.com very cool. Thanks for joining us today Oliver. My pleasure. Thank you for having
0: me. Appreciate yep. it. That was Oliver Lang, he's the CEO of Intelligence City uh, talking all about uh, the latest in uh, building technology and the future of it. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. Let's talk privacy now. Back a few years ago, uh, Cadillac Fairview, they're the guys that own a lot of the shopping malls uh, here in Canada, got in a lot of trouble uh, uh, for some uh, privacy issues. They were location tracking uh, folks in their malls, I think using uh, the Bluetooth on people's smartphones. Well, they're in hot water again. Uh, They have uh, basically been caught collecting over 5 million shoppers' images. Uh, they've set up little cameras in those kiosks they have in the malls, and uh, apparently they, uh, through an investigation, found that uh, they didn't let people know uh, about this uh, this privacy uh, issue. So, on the line, uh, we have a great guest uh, today. His name is Brent Hammond. He is the deputy, deputy Privacy Commissioner here in Canada. Thanks for joining us, Brent. Thank you. So, What's the problem here?
3: <laughs> well, 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 there's a few problems. So, so why, why don't we start uh, at the beginning? Okay. Um, when um, an individual, a passerby in a, in a mall, I think it was the uh, Chinook Center in, uh, in Calgary, um, noticed some error messages on one of those Wayfinder kiosks. And those are those kiosks that, uh, that you figure out where to go to in a mall and um and he shared those images on Reddit. And the images um, demonstrated that there was some use of um, facial recognition software. Um, so clearly, this came out in the media, and um, it raised some uh, concerns and questions uh, with respect to uh, the privacy commissioners in Canada and in the offices. So um ultimately, Uh, the Office of Privacy Commissioner of Canada, along with our counterparts in British Columbia and Alberta, commenced a a joint investigation into uh, the use of, uh, potential use of facial recognition software by Cadillac uh, Fairview. And so here's what we found. Um, Basically what we found is that in a span of two months, in 2018, Cadillac Fairview, across 12 malls in Canada, collected um, the equivalent of 5 million images. And this could be repeat customers, uh, but that's a massive amount of information to be collected in such a short period of time. And not only did they collect these images, and although they deleted them quickly, uh, before they did that, they translated those images into uh, numerical representations or facial arrays, which they would then use in order to inform uh, analysis on foot traffic patterns or to guess uh, the age and the gender of, um, uh, of individuals and of their uh, customers. Um, so the issue here, because you said why, uh, why does this matter, is that they did this without the knowledge or consent of customers. Um,
0: but Brent, they, they said they put stickers on the doors telling people... <laughs>
3: Oh. Yeah, um, I can share something about those stickers. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you look at those stickers, uh, what they talk about is the um, use of video surveillance for safety and security purposes, something that many of us are very familiar with um, when we go about our our daily lives, and that is completely different from the use that they were um, engaged in uh, with this facial recognition software and these in um, these cameras that were at the periphery and quite hidden uh, and not apparent. So yes, individuals and Canadians would expect and understand that you might use cameras for security and safety purposes, which was identified, but they went further. They used this to conduct video analytics in order to inform uh, demographic um, projections and foot traffic patterns. So really, They're talking about a collection, and what we're looking at is the collection of biometric information, which is highly sensitive, and it's unique to each individual, okay? And it's stable over time. So this is highly sensitive information that's collected without the knowledge or consent of individuals. So that was one of the big issues that we had.
1: This is basically taking it sort of where they would go with this information this is very similar to like minority report where you're walking to the mall and you're advertised based on recognizing who you are yeah the kinds of things or deals you might want sounds cool but we didn't opt in for this yet <laughs>
0: No, and so I, I think one of the challenges I have, too, if I was reading this uh, investigation properly as well, yes, they did delete the images, but that biometric information you were saying was uh, still stored on a central database by a third party. That sounds like all kinds of trouble to me. Like
3: <laughs> it, it, it is, and, and what's more trouble is that um, Cadillac Fairview was unaware that uh, this information, the facial arrays, was being stored Uh, by a third party, one of the third party contractors on a decommissioned database. Um, And we know uh, by looking in the newspapers about the risks associated with these massive uh, security breaches, uh, certainly if this information would have been broken into and falling into uh, the wrong hands, uh, there's many risks that can manifest from that. Uh, You know, when you have Uh, such biometric information. Although Cadillac Fairview did not, and we have no evidence, and they did not use that information in order to identify individuals, that's the type of information that can be matched up uh, with other information, including images online, in order to uh, do such uh, identification. So um, so clearly, there's a lot that can be done with this information. And you had mentioned uh, Minority Report. They, um, there was no geolocation uh, tracking of specific individuals with respect to this information. Again, it was used uh, to um, project demographics and foot patterns. That said, for individuals that were signed into Wi-Fi, uh, there was an ability, if they so cho- uh, chose, to activate the ability to, tr- uh, to um, uh, triangulate uh, and uh, deliver location-based ads, but they did not do that. And in fact, uh, what we've said at the end is that, um, take that out of your privacy policy, because it was in there, that uh, this potential, and uh, if you were to engage in that, that we'd expect you do it with express opt-in consent.
0: Brent, uh, you know, I'm a tech guy. I love what they're trying to do here, you know, using facial recognition to see, you know, what type of people are in in their malls. But it it really does come down to to privacy, like you you were saying, and getting consent from customers. But, you know, how do you get that consent going forward? Like, is it just some little sticker on a door somewhere saying, uh, by coming in the mall, you consent to us, you know, capturing your face? Like, what kind of regulations? Like, what kind of size? Like, how prominent does this have to be?
3: Okay, well, the consent has to be informed. And so uh, what we had recommended to Cadillac Fairview is that um, either get consent from individuals in order to capture their images and make use of that information, which could be at the kiosks, or discontinue the use of uh, such information. Cadillac Fairview is no longer doing this. They stopped doing this in 2018 uh, during our investigation. And and we have asked them to not uh, recommence Uh, unless they were going to do so with opt-in consent. We're disappointed that they haven't committed to that, but they have indicated no plans in the future. That said, when you're talking about consent, what they did argue is, okay, well, we had noted in our privacy policy that uh, we would use information for research and demographic purposes. But that was 2,300 words into a 5,000 word privacy policy. And plus, how many people would decide to go and look at the privacy policy before they go, uh, they go shopping?
0: Brent, and, I, uh, I always read those before I go down to the Orange Julius.
3: Right, right. <laughs> uh, and and, and I, would, I would also say that, you know, um, on those stickers that you talked about, uh, it said that, you know, um, there was an opportunity to ask uh, privacy p- policies available upon request. Well, we tested that. <laughs> and in the Eaton Center, we sent um, individuals, uh, uh, investigators, to uh, talk with the um, information um, kiosk individuals and to ask for a privacy po- policy. And um, they were confused by that, indicated that they didn't have one. And it was only upon us going back that they uh, printed off one for us. And it actually was the privacy statement rather Uh, than the privacy policy. So, all to say, consent has to be informed. And Canadians want and deserve to know what you're going to uh, do uh, with that information. Certainly, when they're going in their shopping experience, the last thing that they're going to um, uh, expect is that their biometric information would be captured uh, for these other uses uh, without their consent. And so that's uh, one of the things that we'd expect going forward.
0: I don't say this often, Brent, but I feel like my tax dollars are well spent with your <laughs> with your department. Uh, Brent, I want to thank you so much for joining us and walking us through this.
3: Oh, my pleasure.
0: That was Brent Homan. He's the Deputy Privacy Commissioner of Canada. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, space time Humans have been on the International Space Station for over 20 years. We're going to be talking with our good friend Peter Vogel all about that and what the future holds. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've got a really cool segment now. And I think it's cool because I love space. Anything to do with space. And uh, we're going to be talking about the International Space Station and 20 years of manned presence on the International Space Station. Well, when we have any uh, science stories or space stories, we always go to our space expert. His name is Peter Vogel. He is a, uh, a science and space expert, a former science teacher uh, as well uh, here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Very welcome. Uh, so where do we even begin here? The International Space Station, how long has it been around?
4: Well, uh, the, the, the vision for it actually started at the end of the Apollo years, but uh, it was the russians or the soviets as they were at that time who led the way with their their mere uh lab uh, but eventually the americans uh, came around to joining with the the then russians after the collapse of the soviet union and in uh, 98 they launched the first segment uh to, to the backbone as it were which was a russian component And then by the year 2000, they were ready for continuous manned um, habitation. And it's that that we're celebrating this week.
0: 20 years. Uh, To give our listeners an idea of the scope here, like how big is this thing?
4: Well, it's so big that uh, it's hard to miss if it crosses your night sky and sunlight is reflecting off it. Even, Even though the sun is set for you, it's bouncing off this massive football field sized craft. Um, most of that size is solar panels. And they do a great job of reflecting light back down to Earth. And so it's it's very easy to see.
0: And uh, the solar panels, you said they're about the size of a football field. Is that essentially yes. what's generating all the power? Is there any other power sources in there?
4: That's it. That's their primary power source. That's their only power source, 90 kilowatts roughly. Um, And most of it's running at 28 volts. That's sort of their equivalent of our 110 volts home uh, uh, electrical supply.
0: And how often does it uh, go around the earth in a day?
4: Uh, It's reliable. You can predict exactly where it will be uh, at any given moment. Uh, That's Newtonian physics for you. And it's about 95 minutes. So 16 Orbits roughly a day, sixteen sunrises, sixteen sunsets. That's an astronaut's day.
0: That's interesting. I wonder what, how that uh, affects the astronauts up there. That'd be kind of kind of crazy on the brain after a while going through sixteen <laughs> circles of the earth every day.
4: Sure, and that's just the least of it, right? and it's it's that that man has learned to adapt to, you know starting from uh, Yuri Gagarin's uh, couple of orbits around the Earth. Way back at the beginning of the 60s, the dawn of the the space age, as it were, to uh, here we've got people that are up almost 400 days and living in an environment that uh, man wasn't initially uh, developed for.
0: No, because if things go wrong up there, they can go wrong fast, I imagine. (laughs)
4: yes uh that said of course uh, the the space program is extremely well prepared it's an extremely expensive venture to put man in space and pretty much all eventualities are uh prepared for shall we say including taking evasive action if a piece of space junk comes along
0: there's been some uh, famous canadians on board as well i mean this is an international space station who are are some of them that uh, come to mind
4: yes the 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 canadian component was there from the start uh we've got mark garneau who was canada's first astronaut uh he's been to the space station he's currently uh, our uh, minister of transport in the federal government our um, governor general julie payette has been to the space station and perhaps most famous of all probably arguably the most famous astronaut of the last uh, decade is Canadian Chris Hadfield and he was commander of the space station known for all kinds of interesting things that he did including playing guitar playing uh, David Bowie's space oddity and uh, later uh, making recordings with Canadian bands.
1: Uh, I had the good fortune of getting to meet him and and Got to nerd out quite a bit with him about photography and the camera systems that he used on the space station as well.
0: Yeah, I know. He's been an inspiration, I think, to uh, a lot of uh, young Canadians, especially in uh, science and those who dream of going to uh, space. Uh, we, we are going to have to take a break uh, and uh, we'll get into the last bit of our, our show but if you want to hear the extended version of our interview right now with our good friend Peter Vogel about the International Space Station uh, there's so much more we're going to talk about uh, the different types of crew up there uh, the different computers uh, that they're using uh, as well go to our website we've got the extended audio and video podcast uh, up there when uh, we come back more tech to talk here on Get Connected stay tuned You're back with Get Connected. Don't forget to hit our contest. Uh, Again, we're giving away a Google Pixel 4 XL. This is an amazing phone. Uh, The Pixel phones are really well known for their cameras.
1: Absolutely. The night mode especially. And this is a native Google Android device. So you get the updates before anybody else does.
0: All you have to do is hit our website at getconnectedmedia.com. If you go to the newsletter tab, subscribe you were entered to win in this contest and all the contests that we have going on this year and we're giving away thousands of dollars in prizes so uh i i encourage you to do it and on the flip side you get a great uh weekly newsletter uh with all our audio and video podcasts and the latest how-to videos tips and tricks and uh, info on upcoming contests uh, as well and we don't
1: spam you other than that newsletter we're not going to sell your stuff to anybody. We're not going to uh, charge you for this. We get a lot of people emailing, does this cost anything? Like, no, it's free. We're giving it to you for free. You just need to subscribe. And
0: But if you want to give us money.
1: <laughs> we'll take your money. But yeah, if you follow a link that's asking for money, that's not from us. No.
0: <laughs> Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show. Uh, typically, that's on uh, the following day on Sundays in uh, a lot of the chorus stations. Uh, and in uh, Toronto. It's right after this program. So keep listening. I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together, Christina, John, Stephen, and the rest of the gang. See you again next time.